0: Good afternoon. We'll, uh, we'll maybe make a wee start. Um, it is, uh, it's great to see such a, such a good uh, turnout today. You, you've, you're such a good turnout that you have overwhelmed the sandwiches. So there are more, <laughs> there are more sandwiches on the way. Um, so when they arrive, just uh, feel free to get up and grab away at them. Um, don't leave the full plate of sandwiches then just sitting there the whole time and then leave. Um, go, on, go, on, go on partake in them uh, and feel free to grab yourselves another tea and coffee uh, as you have need. Um, as I said, it's, it's great to have you uh, with us today. We're, we're starting a, a new series. It's a, it's a linked series. Um, in the last few weeks, we've been looking at the, the, the letter of First Peter. Um, today, we're starting to think about the letter of 2 Peter, and that's going to take us right up to the summer. Um, thinking about how we, how we bring heaven, how we live out uh, the the ideals and the the um, the life of heaven. How we show people in the world a little bit of that as we live out our lives here on on Earth um, in this time. Um, and with us today we have uh, David McKay. You, you'll maybe recognise David. David is from uh, Shastri Street, Shastry Square, Shastri Square. I'm not a Belfast person. Shastri Square, uh, Reformed Presbyterian. I got the Reformed Presbyterian bit right. So that's the important bit. <laughs> um, So David is is with us. You might recognize David. David pops in every now and again, um, and uh, we've been very lucky to have David with us before speaking. Um, David's one of a number of people who come and share with us, and it's great that we have um, a a breadth and a a depth of people who want to come and open up the Bible with us and share with us. So we're we're thankful for David uh, being here today uh, and for opening up God's Word to us. Um, Just before he comes to do that, let me read the passage uh, with you. Um, you'll find that on the, the, the little handout on your tables. Um, it's Second Peter uh, chapter one, verses one to 11. and then I 'll just pray, um, and then David will come up and, and share with us. It's so Second Peter chapter one, verses one to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to, su- to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self control, and self control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Are unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to conform your calling an election, to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way There will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me just pray, um, and then David will come and speak to us. Um, Lord, we thank you for uh, bringing us all here today. Um, Lord, we thank you for uh, your mercies in in providing us the opportunity to get out of our offices, um, to get away from our work for a little while, uh, to be together in in fellowship, to encourage one another. to be with one another, but Lord, most importantly, to, to share and to learn from your word. Uh, Father, as David comes to, to bring your word to us now, um, Lord, we pray for, for open minds and open hearts. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you will use this, uh, your word, to encourage us, to challenge us, um, to build us up and to equip us for going and, and living out um, the reality that we are children of God, children of the heavenly kingdom. Um, in this world of of darkness um, and in this world where people are so desperately searching for meaning. Uh, Lord, just be with us now and be with David as he speaks. Amen.
1: With you in a minute. with you in two minutes. (laughs) Right, after all that, uh, it's a pleasure to be back with you. Uh, It's also, I think, a great privilege to be involved in this work, congregation, in the city centre, but gospel churches need each other, and there's no doubt the city is far too big. Uh, for any church or denomination uh, to be reaching, to be ministering to. And the need is endless uh, here in the city centre. So an effort like this, I think, is tremendously important. Uh, And so uh, I'm really happy to be able to come along uh, and to be sharing God's word with you uh, today. And to see so many of you here, uh, you're all in unique positions uh, in your work situation. Uh, You have opportunities that nobody else has. Uh, and so to be helping to equip you uh, to live a Christian life in that environment uh, is tremendous. Uh, and so uh, I do appreciate the invitation to be back uh, here today. Uh, we're starting into 2 Peter and maybe just one or two preliminaries uh, as we get going before we're really into the meat uh, of, the, of the chapter. We're, we're thinking, as you see, the title of the whole series uh, is how to bring heaven to earth. Uh, and so really... In the opening uh, part of 2 Peter, we're thinking about what is it we are bringing? What do we mean when we're talking about heaven? What do we have to offer to the world? So we're, to Peter, the author introduces himself, uh, Simeon Peter. Interesting, he uses a Jewish uh, form of his name. Simon Peter, we're more accustomed uh, to thinking of him as. But look at how he describes himself. A servant and apostle. Of Jesus Christ. I mean, he might easily just have said, an apostle. I'm an apostle, you should be listening to me, that's it. But a servant and an apostle. Fascinating combination, isn't there? Uh, Between the apostle with his authority uh, as God's spokesman, but also a servant. And that's how Peter thinks of himself. He's not standing on his authority or his title, Uh, he's a servant, (laughs) servant of God and a servant of those he's writing to. Uh, And it reminds us really, Peter, although he's an apostle, is no different from us because he's a man who's experienced God's grace. That's why he's a servant. He's a servant because of the grace of God. God's grace working uh, in someone just like us, a sinner like us. Uh, And so you see Peter's humility alongside his authority. He's not... Uh, addressing us from a great height. He's alongside us as a servant of the Lord. Uh, and that comes through as well uh, when he addresses his readers. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. not that interesting? An apostle, but he doesn't have any greater experience of grace. Any greater experience uh, of God granting him faith. Our faith is just like his. It's the same faith that saves. Uh, Whatever kind of sinner you are and whatever work God calls you. A faith of equal standing with an apostle. Uh, I mean, that's remarkable. Uh, And that's a mark of God's uh, love for us, God's grace toward us, God's provision for us. Uh, And the reason why our faith is on the same standing as that of Peter, well, he tells us Because it's based on the same foundation. It's based on the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And always Peter, as we'll see, is bringing us back to Christ, bringing us back to that foundation, and it's the same for all of us. Not any different for Peter. He needed the same salvation, and by God's grace he's received it. And we too have a faith that's built on the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. What a privilege uh, and what a mark of uh, the love of God for us. And the greeting, well the greetings, uh, the usual form we find in the New Testament, grace and peace. Uh, Now we could take time to tease that out and to think about it, but just simply uh, to be reminded grace we need. That's what brings us into the family of God. That's what gives us heaven. Uh, And out of that grace flows peace First of all, peace with God. That's fundamental. We're reconciled to God. And then peace within the body of believers. That's why Christians can have peace with one another. Because first we've got peace with God. And so Peter uh, is wishing, praying for his uh, readers. They'll experience grace, greater grace. They'll experience peace. Peace with God. Peace with one another. Uh, And again, a phrase we'll find occurs again and again, Second Peter. Uh, it's from the knowledge of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. We'll come back to that in a moment because that uh, is vital for what Peter is going to say to his readers. There are people who know God. What does that mean? Does it mean their minds are simply stored with theology? Uh, does it mean something Uh, significantly different. So let's get into the meat uh, of this passage, uh, really from verse 3 onwards. Uh, And we're thinking about a secure position, uh, as you can see from the the, the handout. Uh, But I want to start, first of all, verses 3 and 4, with an effective call. An effective call, because always in the New Testament, before we're told what we ought to be doing and how we ought to be living, Always, the New Testament writers, Peter's no exception, starts with what God has done. That is crucial. He's granted to us, Peter says, all things that pertain to life and godliness. You could read that phrase and we could simply sit and think about that for the rest of our time. Everything we need for life and godliness. Just a magnitude of what God has provided, everything we need, comprehensive provision. Not just most of what we need, everything. It's all there provided for us. That's our jumping off point in Christian living. God has given us everything we need. And again, you see the importance of knowledge of God. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through our knowledge of Him. Knowledge. Knowledge is an important word in Scripture. To us often, knowledge is just storing up information. Somebody has a lot of knowledge, maybe they've read a lot of books on the subject, Uh, they've a lot of facts at their disposal. But knowledge in the Bible really is a relationship word. When it says in Genesis that Adam knew his wife, Eve, it means more than he remembered her birthday. You'd have to hope he did remember her birthday, but it's not simply he had certain information or what was her favorite color. It was relationship, relationship of love, intimacy. And when God knows us, that's a relationship word. God relates to us in grace and love. And we in turn know God. Not simply that we can tick off a list of theological facts. I'm not for a moment uh, demeaning knowledge about God. But to know God is to love him, to relate to him, to have an intimate covenant relationship really with God. And so knowledge of God is vital. To know him and to grow in knowledge of the Lord. To know him is to love him. That's often very different from human relationships. Sometimes to know people better is to go off them a bit. Some of you can relate to that clearly. But to know God better is to love God more. It's a relational word. And so our knowledge of God is something that's filled with warmth, with love, with devotion. We sometimes think of knowledge as a very cold, abstract thing. Uh, It's not that in our relationship to God. It's shot through with God's grace and love for us and our love responding to him. And the whole emphasis of Peter, isn't it, is on God's initiative. First, what God has done, and he's called us, Peter says, to his own glory and excellence. He's called us. An effective call. Uh, If some of you have the Westminster Shorter Catechism in your background somewhere, uh, you may have come across effectual calling, the old word for it. But it's effective, we'd say. It's an effective call that comes and saves a sinner. Now there's a call that we receive when we hear the gospel. Anybody hears the gospel is called. But of course, plenty of people ignore it. But this is a call nobody ignores because this is a call in the heart. This is a call that changes people. This is a call that gives new life to people who are dead in their sins. This is a call that enables sinners like us to respond. Why do two people hear the same sermon? One of them is utterly unmoved and the other repents and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that one's more susceptible spiritual things than the other. It's that God has effectively called, graciously called one of them. And if you belong to Christ, it's because God called you, called you to his glory and excellence. And we're reminded it needs divine power. Verse three, divine power to save us. Let's never have little views of what conversion is. It's divine power. Paul talks about sinners being new creations. Imagine, the power that God put forth to make the universe is the power that God puts forth to save you. Divine power. That's what it takes to bring somebody from death to life. And if you're a Christian, you've experienced the greatest miracle that there ever is. To come from death to life, to experience God's power. The God of grace. And that comes through so often in this passage. Gracious God. Peter talks about his precious and very great promises. And that's what we have. Promises God will keep. And when we think of God's promises, that takes us back to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus None of them will fail. You know and I know there are a lot of promises you get. They'll never be kept. All the promises of God are precious and very great and they'll be kept. That's a tremendous assurance for the Christian to have. God will never fail us. And Peter gives us a very rich description of salvation here. We become, he says in verse 4, partakers of the divine nature. Remember, that makes us scratch our heads. What does that mean? Now, we could spend quite a while uh, picking that apart and figuring out what it means. I'll tell you what it means. Trust me, I'm a doctor. We're partakers. doesn't mean we're deified, that somehow we become God, some kind of mystical experience like that. That's not what Peter's talking about. Partakers of the divine nature... What he's telling us, I believe, is that we share in the likeness of God, his moral perfection. We're being shaped in the likeness of God. In that sense, we're partakers of the divine nature. We're made holy people. We're made people like God who reflect his likeness. Now, we were made, mankind was made in the image of God. That image is defaced. It is marred by sin. But what's happening when we come to Christ as we are being reshaped. We'll think of that again in a moment. The image is being restored. And that image reflects God. And that's what Peter is talking about. God's holiness. God's love. God's truth. That people are able to look at Christians and see something of God. In that sense, we're reflecting his divine nature. We're sharing in his divine nature. And the world ought to see that as the Spirit works in us. We're being transformed. That's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3:18. We're being transformed into the same image, from glory to glory. Now we look at our lives sometimes and we think there's not much glory there. And yet, insofar as Jesus is seen in us, there is glory. And we delight God's heart when He sees. Something of his son in us. And so we're partakers of the divine nature. What a privilege. How amazing. That's what God is doing in us. So this is our starting point. There's been a definitive change that has taken place. Once for all, irreversible. God has done it. Having escaped, Peter says, verse 4, from the corruption that's in the world. Having escaped. Past tense, that's important. We are people who've been liberated once for all from bondage to sin and to Satan. That doesn't mean we won't sin again. It doesn't mean that Satan won't succeed in bringing us down from time to time. But he'll never be our master, and sin will never be the dominating power in our lives. So we've escaped, freed. From bondage. The decisive blow has been struck. That's how, as Christians, we should think of ourselves. The chains are broken once for all. We've been set free. We are converted. A change takes place that will never be undone. We've passed from death to life. We're not going back. God won't let us go back. We won't be back in bondage to sin or Satan. We've escaped that corruption. That's the starting point. Now, of course, then we have got to go on, as Peter tells us, and live that out in practice. If this is who we are, if this is what has happened to us, what then? And Peter's going to tell us. And so it brings us then to think, secondly, of a transformed life uh, in verses 5 to 9. What God has done isn't a reason for us to sit back and say, God will do it all. I don't have to bother. Rather, it's a stimulus to how we live now. For this very reason, Peter says, verse 5, because of all of this that God has done, here, now is the implication for you. To look back encourages us to look forward, not to live in the past. And so here's the challenge he issues. Make every effort. No idleness, no casualness, no curse. Make every effort. Of course, it's with God's strength. It's by the enabling of the Holy Spirit. No question about that. But we've got to use the strength. Make every effort. There's to be growth. There's to be progress. And Peter lists key characteristics of Christians in which we are to be progressing, verses 5 to 7. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, brotherly affection with love. Now we can take all of those if we time, and look at what exactly Peter is saying, but read the list. Who's he describing? Lord Jesus Christ. First and foremost, it's the character of Christ. That's what's to be produced in us. It's exactly the same as what Paul writes in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. It's the character of Christ. We are to be reshaped, transformed into his likeness. We become more like Christ as the Lord works in us. And all of those elements are to be cultivated at the same time we can't say to ourselves well I'm not too bad in self-control and steadfastness so I'll concentrate on them I'm a bit wobbly maybe on brotherly affection but it's okay I'm good in the others all of these are to characterise the Lord's people we're to be working by God's grace on all of them to show the likeness of Christ as we live in the community of God's people Too often we have a very solitary idea of Christian living. It's me and Jesus. But God puts us in the community of his people. And these characteristics will be developed in the community of God's people. Self-control. That colleague at work, somebody in church that really ticks you off. Or you tick them off, of course. Don't forget it can work the other way. Self-control and the different characteristics there that as we relate to God's people and then to those outside the church are to be growing, developing, the likeness of Christ becoming more and more visible. And that's what Peter talks about. They're increasing. If these are increasing, there's never an excuse for sitting back and thinking, I've grown a fair bit as a Christian. I'm okay. I can coast the rest of the way. Maybe a temptation sometimes as we get older uh, in life. But we never can sit back and think, done enough. I've progressed pretty well. Always these characteristics are to be increasing. We're to be growing. Uh, And if that is the case, as Peter says, uh, it'll keep us from being ineffective or unfruitful. As we know the Lord, as we grow in knowledge, as we're reshaped like Christ, we bear fruit the fruit of the Spirit. It's sad sometimes to see people who professed faith, for many years they'd say they were Christian, and yet very little fruit evident. You've got to wonder, what really is their relationship to God? Is there really life flowing into them from the Lord? We're not to be unfruitful. We're not to be spiritually sterile. In verse nine, Peter doesn't mince his words. gives it pretty straight uh, because if you're lacking these qualities he says you're so short sighted you're blind and that should pull us up and make us evaluate ask the Lord to show us just where we are how we are going with him be so short sighted we could be blind blind to our own failures blind to our own lack of progress Forgetting what God has done. On one hand you think, how could you forget what God has done for you? He's made you alive, He's given you all these promises, He's done wonderful things, and yet we can forget. We can take them for granted, can't we? Just become used to it and we don't really realise what amazing privileges we have and what work God has done and is doing in us. A transformed life is essential. And that brings us uh, finally, as time uh, is going on, verses 10 and 11. There's an urgent summons uh, at the end of our passage. Make your calling and election sure. Now, he's not suggesting that God's election is uncertain, that he might change his mind. You're in one day, you're out the next. What he's saying is Are you sure you belong to the Lord? How do you know you're His? Well, as you grow, as you progress, as the likeness of Jesus is being produced in you, there are tokens that you belong to the Lord. There is evidence to encourage you to think you're part of the family. If these things are absent, you've got to be asking, well, am I really a Christian? So make sure, make sure you belong to the Lord. Make sure you've received this call. And Peter's aim is not to leave you always wondering, am I in the family, am I not? It's to encourage us. He says, if you practice these qualities, you'll never fall. He's not suggesting by our efforts we'll keep ourselves saved. That puts you in a performance treadmill. I've got to be good enough so that God will still love me and I'll still be saved. That's not what Peter's trying to do here. But rather, if we are really pursuing holiness, if we're growing in Christ-likeness, it will keep us from so many spiritual problems and struggles and falls. It will give us a strength and a security in the Christian life. And that's something surely we want, we long for. And as always for the Christian, the best is still to come. Because Peter talks about the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour. A way will be richly provided for you. An entrance into the eternal kingdom. What a prospect we have. Maybe you have good prospects in your job. Maybe you think you have no prospects in your job. don't know. But the prospects the Christian has... Words can hardly describe them. The the New Testament struggles to convey it. The eternal kingdom. The kingdom has come, of course, in Jesus. That's what he preached. But the fullness is still to come. Entrance into the kingdom when there won't be any temptation. There won't be any falls. We will be perfectly like Christ. It's hard to imagine. But that's what lies ahead for the Christian. Peter's telling us. Richly provided an entrance. And we need to recapture, I think, that sense of the richness of what God has provided for us. Think of the language of the feast that's often used in the New Testament. To be feasting together with the Lord. The Lord's Supper is a little foretaste of that. Joy, fellowship, provision. The Lord provides a rich feast for us. And we mustn't let the world put us off Thinking of our glorious future up high in the sky and so on. God has provided something rich. And we should delight in that. We shouldn't be ashamed of it. It should excite us, it should stimulate us to godly living, an entrance into the eternal kingdom. And it's all built to come back to where we started on the grace of God and salvation. Why can we look forward? to that eternal kingdom because God has started a work God's carrying on a work and God will finish the work and he will make sure that those he calls he will bring into the eternal kingdom there's the ground of our assurance as Christians it's not pride to say I'm sure I'll be in heaven I'm sure I'll be in the new creation because it's the Lord's work and all the glory will be his. That's the heaven we're bringing to earth as we go through Second Peter. That's the prospect we have as Christians. That's something to excite us as we go back into a work environment where maybe there's not a lot that's exciting and maybe it's a struggle. Maybe it's a battle in some ways. Maybe you find it hard and discouraging. We need to think, what's God doing and what is he going to do for us? There are no doubts about it. I'll be thinking more about that uh, as you work your way through Second Peter. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we give you thanks for this glorious work. We thank you for a call that will never be taken back. A call that changes sinners like us. And Lord, we praise you that you are transforming your people, that more and more of Christ is being formed in us. Father, we pray that we might go on faithfully with him, that we might make every effort, and may our eyes be fixed finally in the goal, eternity with Christ in the eternal kingdom. We praise you, Lord, and we give you the glory. Amen.